0: Good morning. Good morning John. We have a beautiful day outside. I don't know if it'll match yesterday, but it's been a couple good days of spring, it looks like, until it changes back to winter. But uh, we'll enjoy what we get, I reckon. It's good to have you all with us today. Our visitors, we're very proud to have you, those in the building and those uh, by way of the internet. Uh, we're very happy to have you with us as we study uh, from the Word of God. I'd like to read from Matthew 14, 19 through 21 as a beginning point. Uh, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Started out with five loaves and two fishes, and fed probably somewhere in the neighborhood 20,000, 30,000 people. That was a remarkable sight to behold, I reckon. John says, then those men, it's a parallel passage, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did feeding the multitude they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. These were those who were following the Lord at that time. These were those who ate the food that he had miraculously spread before them. They, they referred to him as being the prophet, referring to the prophet that all Jews were looking for, the prophet that Moses predicted would come back in Deuteronomy chapter 18 he said the prophet said a prophet he'll be a prophet like me Moses said him you shall hear all the Jews was looking for this person he was known as the Messiah sometimes he's referred to as the prophet but he was going to be Israel's deliverer and everybody was looking for him to show up in John chapter 6 verse 66 after these events had transpired uh, earlier in the day. On the next day after Jesus had fed the multitudes, the next day after, he preached a sermon. I usually call it the Bread of Life sermon. And the conclusion was many of his disciples went back. They walked with him no more. We see uh, in the scriptures a lot, Old Testament, New Testament as well, the fickleness of human beings. Uh, people. Uh, A lot of times they're as unstable as water. On the first day, they said, this is truly the prophet, the Messiah, who we've been looking for all these years. Truly, this is he. And then the very next day, after hearing him preach his message, many of them abandoned him for all practical purposes. They wanted nothing to do with him. And that's the way a lot of things are today. A lot of people, uh, they appreciate The person of Christ, Jesus, Um, he's a wonderful person, he's kind, he's loving, he does good stuff. Uh, A lot of people look at him that way, but then when they hear what he has to say, not so much, not so much. They like the idea of the Christ who will save us from a devil's hell, but as far as his teaching goes, he's... He's too strict, he's too harsh, he's mean, he's rigid. So many times people don't like uh, his words and because of that they abandon him. Abandon the one they refer to as being the, pro- the prophet. This is uh, a weak faith to say the least and it's important for me to set the stage this way because of the conclusion of this particular lesson but we'll dig into it a little deeper. From prophet to king, after Jesus had fed the multitude that same day, Jesus perceived, he realized, that they were about to come and take him by force. They were gonna make him be their king. And he had no say in it. He fed him, he was the prophet that Moses spoke of, and now we're gonna make him be our king. And Jesus had to take some radical action. Immediately, Matthew adds, In verse 22 of chapter 14, immediately Jesus made his disciples get in a boat and go before him to the other side. He made them leave quickly. Uh, While they were on the other side, Jesus uh, sent the multitudes away. Time for them to go home. His uh, apostles were all gone. That's time for everybody to disperse and go home. And when they were on their way leaving, he had sent the multitudes away. He went up on the mountain. He was by himself, and there he prayed. Uh, We're not told what he prayed about. I got some ideas, but uh, it's only my opinion. It's not necessary uh, for me to express, I don't reckon. Now, when evening came, uh, he was alone there in the mountain. His uh, apostles had been gone for a little while, usually when they referred to evening in the Bible. Uh, especially if Matthew's writing, when he says the word evening, he's usually talking about 6 p.m. That was what they considered to be evening. It could be called the 12th hour, but most of the time, instead of calling it the 12th hour, they usually refer to it as when the evening came, which would probably be around 6 p.m. At that time, Jesus was alone on the mountain. Now, as we continue in Matthew's uh, record of this event, the boat was now in the middle of the sea. This was evening. They had been in the water for a little while. They left in the daylight to head to another place. The boat was now in the middle of the sea and it was tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. John says they had rowed about three or four miles while they were out there in this violent storm. Jesus saw them straining as they rowed. Now, Jesus was on the mountain. They were out in the middle of the sea. And there was a tempest that had come up, and the Lord could see these men as they fought against that storm, trying to save themselves from inevitable death, if they didn't do something quickly. <clears throat> First, what we notice in order, the apostles were in the middle of the sea. Secondly, Jesus was on the mountain by himself. Thirdly, Jesus could see his apostles straining as they fought their way through the storm. Don't lose sight of that it's very important even though they were gone out of sight he could still see what they were doing he knew where they were and he knew what needed to be done to protect them in Hebrews 4 and verse 13 the Hebrews office said there's no creature hidden from his sight what, what does this imply it implies that wherever we go the Lord can see us he knows where we are he knows what we're doing He knows if we're in danger, and if so, he knows how to protect us from danger. There's nowhere we go that he's not conscious of that very fact. He saved his apostles from what would have been death. Now, it's become the fourth watch of the night. I want to show you how the clock worked in Jewry at that time. Uh, The nighttime was divided up into four watches. We go by hour. They went by four watches. The first watch was between 6 and 9 p.m. The second watch was 9 to 12 a.m. The third watch would be from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. And, of course, the fourth watch would be 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now, the fourth watch is where we are with the Lord walking on the water, going out to find his disciples, okay? What does this mean? It means they've been rowing that boat for a very long time, He knew they were out there, he saw them out there, he saw them fighting the waves. But it's still uh, quite a long time before he reached out to help them. The daytime hours are very simple. Uh, If you remember to begin seven o'clock with the first hour of the day, uh, that's usually where I get tripped up. But the third hour was the crucifixion, sixth hour was darkness, ninth hour death, and then the burial took place at evening, which as I said a moment ago, in Matthew's account, it's generally considered 6 p.m. It uh, gives you an idea of what time of day we're reading about in uh, the Bible. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, and he was walking on the sea. Remember, there's a tempest. We're in the midst of a tempest, and he walks across the sea as though it was just a flattened floor. There was no obstruction. He just walked. The apostles battled the storm for more than nine hours by this time, probably closer to 12, I would guess. But they had been fighting this storm over and over and over and over, trying to stay above water. The water, the waves are coming over the sides of the boats, coming in the boat, they're having to dip out the water. Boat's turning up on the side, they think they're going to flip out. They, they were scared to death, no doubt, believing they were going to die. If you've ever been out in a storm in a little boat, you can know how nerve-wracking that can be. And their boats back then weren't anything compared to the boats we've got today. Why did the Lord wait so long to rescue his disciples? And this is a question we always ask. Why? Where is the Lord? Why did he make these guys row that boat all that time? Now, according to the text, as we read it between Matthew and John, Jesus saw the apostles out there rowing the boat in the middle of a tempest around uh, evening, around 6 p.m., Now he's in the the fourth watch of the night somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 p.m. They probably were sent away by him maybe 4 p.m. in the daylight and they've now fought this storm for maybe 12 hours. These men are exhausted, they're hungry, they're terrified. Why did he make them wait that long? Where was he? Why didn't he come when he first seen them? These are These are valid questions. There's nothing wrong with raising these questions. Why didn't he come when he first saw them out there fighting the sea? If we knew that the Lord waited so long on coming to us when we were in trouble, we would probably be angry. And the reason we would be angry is because we didn't get top priority. Or at least that's what we think, that we didn't get top priority. But there was a reason why Jesus waited. He could have come when he first saw him, but that wasn't the best thing for him to do. So he, he waited. He let them fight that storm. It's not the first time. When Israel left Egypt and they came upon the Red Sea, they couldn't cross the Red Sea. It's a couple million people. They couldn't go across the Red Sea because the sea was out of its banks. They had the Egyptian army behind them going to slaughter them. They had the Egyptian army behind them. They had the Red Sea in front of them. And there was nowhere they could go. And they're mad at Moses. And they're yelling at Moses. Where is God? He's the one that sent us out here. Where is he? Why doesn't he do something? And then he did. You remember he parted the sea and they went across on dry ground. The Egyptian army got gotten close enough where they could follow. And of course they drowned in the sea. And we're not able to pursue the Israelites any farther. Sometimes the Lord waits before he acts. We don't understand why, but he does. We've seen the Lord wait with Job. Look how long Job had to wait to get relief. He dealt with his illness for months after going through a series of terrible sufferings. He had to deal with this loathsome disease for we don't know how many months, maybe half a year. Why did God wait so long? There was a reason for it. The sisters of Lazarus, they sent Jesus or message to Jesus. Lazarus is, is very sick. Why don't you come and help him? Jesus got the message and he stayed where he was for two more days. He told the disciples let's go we're going to go see Lazarus and they said well Lazarus was sick and he said no Lazarus is dead the Lord knew he was dead he could have went to him while he was still alive but instead he waited two days and Lazarus was dead why would he wait two days why would he let Lazarus die we know the answer to that question Because he brought Lazarus back to life. And he proved that he had the power of God Almighty. He could raise a person from the dead. My point is simply this. The Lord sees us. He knows what's going on. He knows what we need. And he knows when to deliver us. And I can guarantee you just about that it will never be on our timetable. It will always be on his because he's God, and he knows what he's doing. When we look at this uh, little map of this Galilean section that we're dealing with right now, uh, I don't know how big those words are, but the yellow arrow points to the Sea of Galilee, black line running down below it, which is, of course, the Jordan River, which dumps into the Dead Sea. On the uh, left side is the western bank, on the right side is the eastern bank. We talk about the Bible a lot of times, we're talking about the eastern and western side of the Jordan, this is what they're talking about. But there's one point in particular I'm going to talk about right now, and that's where this flashing red line is. Because I'm going to show you another map, and on this map, this is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at a blown up map of this particular section of the Sea of Galilee. We're going to be looking at the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, looking out towards the west. So here we go. This is the eastern bank. That's west. And over here in Bethsaida, uh, this is where Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Uh, I was there one time. I walked on the water there one time. I did. I was out there on a boat and I wanted to go over here. I knew it happened over here. I knew about where Jesus walked on the water. I'll give or take a half mile, I guess. <laughs> but uh, we went over there, and I said, man, I wish I could walk on the water. And uh, that guy said, I can help you walk on the water. Give me $20, and I'll, I'll fix it where you can. So I gave him 20 bucks, nothing else. I can tell everybody I walked on the water and see Sea of Galilee. He reached over the side of the boat with a bucket and got him a bucket of water, filled it down on the floor. He said, walk. <laughs> hey, I walked on the Sea of Galilee. just happened to be in a boat. But a beautiful, beautiful country over there, unless there's a storm. You don't wanna be on this sea, because it's crazy. It's surrounded by hills, and when a storm comes in, the wind swirls around like a tornado funnel, around and around and around, and it just scoots you all over the place if you're in a boat. I've never been in a boat, and I'm glad I never was. They they decided, after Jesus had uh, fed the multitude, they decided they wanted to make him their king of Israel. And Jesus, he knew what they were up to. He knew what they were going to do. And the first thing on his mind, gotta get the apostles out of here. So he sent them across the sea, headed toward Capernaum. But they didn't get all the way to Capernaum on this particular trip. It should only taken about two hours. But they didn't make it all the way across the sea. Why? Because there was a terrible storm that came up. And when this storm came up, it starts blowing the boat wherever it wants to go. You got no control over the boat. You're just hanging on for dear life, hoping to survive this storm. <clears throat> Jesus was watching. Probably, uh, it says around the evening, which would be somewhere around 6 o'clock, the Lord was watching them, and he probably continued to pray, and he probably watched them some more. But this went on for at least nine hours. He knew they were out there fighting the storm. He knew they were terrified. And he let them suffer, and then suddenly, when the time was ripe, he walked out on the sea, and he met up with a boat out there in the middle of the sea. Now we'll go back to the record. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, "It is a ghost." I don't know what I would have thought if I'd saw him coming up that boat. I'd have probably been a whole lot like them disciples. I, I think I would have been scared. And they cried out for fear. They were afraid of the storm. They were afraid now of a ghost. Immediately, no more fear. It's time to stop. Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter believed that if Jesus ordered him on the water, he'd be able to get on that water and walk. So he said, command me to come. Make it your will, not mine. <clears throat> and Jesus said, well, well, come. Come on. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter walked on the water to get to where Jesus was. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, now I have a problem with that, He's been fighting the storm for over nine hours. And he just now saw that the, the, the wind was boisterous? I mean, these guys have been flip-flopping around in that boat all that long. And he just now saw that the wind was boisterous? Well, th- there's a big difference. Before, he was inside the boat. <laughs> now, he's on the outside of the boat. And I suppose when it dawned on Peter, I can't can't walk on water. What am I doing out here? He saw the wind and he thought, have I lost my mind? This is impossible. And he began to sink his fear and he began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, please save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. He caught him and he said to him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? That question doesn't even sound right. Why did you doubt? It's in the middle of a tempest. He's doing something that people can't do. He was walking on top of the water. Why did I doubt? I doubted because everything I was doing wasn't even possible. That would have been my response if I'd have been Peter. But Jesus is upset, he's truly upset. Why did you doubt? You had no reason to doubt, but you doubted Peter and that bothered the Lord. But I think he knew it the whole time. The the apostles were witnesses to more miracles than anybody. They traveled, they lived with the Lord for some time. They seen everything he did. And every day, maybe thousands of times a day, he was performing miracles in different, different ways. One time, the disciples of John the Baptizer came, and, and John wanted to know before he died, are you truly the Messiah? He wanted to know, am I dying for something that's true? Are you truly the Messiah? And Jesus, he loved John. He wanted to give him a decent response. And he said to John's messengers, Go and tell John the things you have seen with your eye that you have heard with your own ears. Well, what have they seen and heard? You've seen the blind see. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen lepers cleansed of their leprosy. You've seen the deaf suddenly able to hear. You've seen the dead come up from the grave, and the poor, the most despised, overlooked group of people in all of Palestine. You've seen the poor have the good news of Christ preached to them. Tell John what you saw, and he'll know who I am. The apostles were witnesses to all these things they seen all these things come to pass they watched everything that jesus did john tells us at the end of his little book truly jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book in the next chapter in chapter 21 he'll make this statement about these things not written in the book in verse 25 he said and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world could not contain the books that would be written. If everything the Lord did was recorded in print, I suppose the world isn't big enough to hold the books that would have been produced. The apostles were witnesses to these things. They seen these things happen. They are with Jesus the whole time Jesus said why did you doubt well I'm starting to understand why he might have said that now they had all kinds of reasons not to doubt regarding these signs that are not written in the book John said these these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name What's been recorded in John's book has been recorded to instill faith in you and I. And according to the Lord, the things recorded in the scriptures are more than enough to give us, supply us with ample evidence testifying to the fact that Jesus is the son of God. The proof is in the pudding. Well, that's only a smidgen compared to what the apostles witnessed. They witnessed many, many, many more times things that Jesus did than we read about signs were intended to prove faith and Jesus said why did you doubt <clears throat> why did you doubt in Matthew chapter 8 verses 24 through 6 the apostles were caught in a storm before this one it was about a year two or three months before this event in Matthew 14, they were caught out in the storm. Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But Jesus was sleeping through this storm. His disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And Jesus said to them, why are you fearful? O oh, you of little faith. Jesus was sleeping. The storm was carrying on something fierce and he was sleeping. He knew he knew he was in the hands of his father. He wasn't fretful of what might happen. His father was there to protect him regardless. Whatever the outcome of that ride that day was, Jesus was satisfied, it was the will of his father. And if that is the will of the father, then so be it. He was all right with that. The apostles couldn't understand it. How could he rest in the middle of that storm? Well, I think it's the opposite of their experience. They had little faith, he had great faith. And I think that was the difference between the reaction of the apostles and the Lord he trusted God they couldn't they weren't able to and now we go a year two three months into the future they find themselves in the midst of another storm and what happens the very same thing happens all over again they're terrified and they needed Jesus to save them because they were going to perish and his response was basically the same why did you not believe Why did you doubt? You had no reason to doubt. Don't you remember what happened a year and two months ago when the sea calmed in order to say, don't you remember that? Don't you remember all the miracles you've seen me work throughout this ministry? Hasn't it made a dent in your armor? Hasn't it helped you believe? It was supposed to. But it wasn't working. It wasn't working. I believe the Lord knew that the apostles were in danger. Because they weren't growing spiritually like they were supposed to grow. They were in neutral. They were holding their own and that's the best they were doing. And he knew that was happening. And that's why he sent them out in the boat that day. He knew what was going to happen. He knew there was going to be a storm. He knew they were going to be trapped in that storm. And he, he let them battle it out for nine hours because he knew they had to learn a lesson. They had to develop faith. And he knew how to do it. But they were going to have to go through the experience to do it. It's very important. It's very important. He arose. He rebuked the winds that day in the sea. There was a great Calm. In Mark's parallel account, Mark 6, 51 and 2, we have the reason for the whole thing that took place. Mark said, when when Jesus went up into the boat after walking on the water, the wind ceased. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled, just like they did the first time. But this time, it was a little bit different. They marveled, Mark says, for they had not understood about the loaves. You remember earlier that day what the Lord did? He fed 20-some-odd thousand people with five loaves and two fishes, and he fed all them people. They all were full. There was 12 fragments of bread left over. Everybody got their belly full and then some. Have they forgotten what he did? Imagine that. Imagine a person could produce bread on the spot that way. That's a power that belongs only to God. We pray to God for what? Our daily food. Who supplied supplied the daily food that day? Their God supplied the daily food. But it didn't register. They didn't get it. It almost meant nothing to them. The other people said, truly this is a prophet. The apostles, they were probably enthralled with the reaction of the crowd. The crowd was excited. This man's a prophet of God. They were excited. They were with him. With Jesus, they were somebodies. They enjoyed it. They liked it. They felt good. But they missed the point of the whole thing. And this is what Mark tells us. They had not understood about the loaves because there's a reason for it. There you go. Their heart was hardened. Remember, we're talking about the apostles. You know, it's not going to be too long. It's going to be about eight months and Jesus is going to be crucified. It's not going to be long. They're running out of time. These are the men that's going to represent him to the world. And they're not ready. Because their hearts were hardened. The word hardened means dull, sluggish, insensible so as not to recognize the implication of that miracle. Having the heart hardened is the inability to comprehend either the actions or words of deity. We read some of the most marvelous things we could possibly read in the scriptures, and then we, uh, we yawn real big. Why do we yawn? What makes us yawn? Why is it these things do not excite us? Jesus walking on water, Peter walking on water. I've never seen anything incredible in my whole life. And that was a little thing compared to all the other stuff that was done. These people, the apostles, they had not understood and they did not recognize the implication of the miraculous event they saw that morning and they had they had to grow in faith man they had to grow so the Lord set the stage that day and sent these men out into a tempest and they fought for their lives and their reaction this time was much different when they got into the boat the wind ceased Then those who were in the boat, that is the apostles, they came and worshipped Jesus. That's something you only do for God. You only worship God. You don't worship anyone else. They're acknowledging who he is. Those who were in the boat, they came and they worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Calling him the son of God is the equivalent of calling him God. The Son's equivalent to the father. When you call him the son of God, you're saying he's equal to God. He's He's God himself. This is the way the Jews understood it. Truly, you are the son of God. You know, Peter said that once before. I don't know if he really understood what he meant by what he said. They said a lot of things to Jesus through this time. But they did a lot of talking without much comprehension. And now, Now it's all different. They're going to be different from this point in Jesus' ministry to the end. It's going to be a lot different than it was before. Because now they know who they're with. A near-death experience opened their eyes, softened their hearts, and they believed. Now, what's so important about all that? You and I, in order to be approved by God, we have to be people of faith just like the apostles or anybody else we have to be people of faith and the lord works with us to help us develop our faith he's got many many ways he does that if our faith can be developed sometimes people's hearts gets too hard they've said no to god so long that they 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 can't change And I I don't think the Lord probably tries to build their faith any longer. I think for them, the hard-hearted, I think it's pretty much over with at that time. But there are those who are believers, but their their faith isn't what it needs to be. It's weak faith. And when we have a weak faith, uh, the Lord is going to help us develop a good faith, a better faith, a stronger faith. And there are things he may do, and the result of that will be either our faith will go stronger or perhaps our faith will grow weaker. Sometimes we suffer and we get angry with God. I suppose the apostles were angry with God that day. <clears throat> After all, he sent them out in that mess. Why didn't he do something to get them out of it? <clears throat> Jesus had, didn't have to go to him. You remember the centurion servant? He said, you can't come to my house because I got men under me, and, and I'm not worthy you come into my house. And you remember what the Lord said? He said, go on home. Your servant's already healed. Jesus didn't have to be in that house to heal his servant. He could heal him from wherever he was, and he did. Jesus didn't have to go out to that boat and save those guys from that tempest. He could have squashed that tempest right from where he was. But he did all the things that he did for the sake of his apostles, because they needed to know. They needed to believe so they could live the kind of life that God wanted them to live and so it is with you and I so it is with us a fascinating thought to me is the fact that God wants to save us and he does everything possible to make that happen and then it's up to us to help ourselves if you are not a Christian that's step number one he wants us to believe that his son is a member of the Godhead the son of the Father he wants us to stop sinning as best we can takes time he wants us to confess Jesus for the peoples he wants us to be immersed in water because that's when he removes sin. He wants us to come up in the water with a new person, new mind, new attitude, new destination. He wants us to come up out of that water and walk with him for the rest of our life. And in the end, we will go live with him in paradise times a thousand. A thousand thousands. the best is yet to come the best is yet to come choose God he makes life make sense choose God and live